Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to the award-nominated Missed Apex podcast, brought to you by Daytona, the UK's premier kart racing venues. Today's episode is called Rose-Tinted Visors. We are an independent podcast hosted at MissedApexPodcast.com. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. This show is safe for work. We're keeping it clean here so you can play this with kids in the background or at work. This week, we take a look at some F1 news, delving into the past of Formula One. We preview the Belgian Grand Prix briefly, and we have one of Catman's famous missed apex quizzes for our panel and a patron to test themselves against. Joining me first is a man inside motorsport with motorsport inside him. It's Anil Singh Palmer. How's it going, Anil? Great spanners. Looking forward to talking about uh, rose-tinted glasses. Man, tell you what hasn't been good, though. It's just been dire over the summer you try and enjoy the nice weather you try and enjoy more time with your family but it's just too long to go without f1 yeah people keep asking me what i'm doing on my weekend and it's like i don't know (laughs) i I literally do not know what i'm doing because there's no f1 it's terrible i had a few hours to myself this afternoon and i was just shuffling around i ended up going for a run desperate times Uh, alongside you here on my little tv monitor in my new green screen studio is Alex Jeansy Van Jean, karting extraordinaire, a man who turned up to a go-kart race in his own race suit but didn't win. How's it going, Jeansy? I'm all right, and if I was about five kilos lighter, it would have been a different result, but I'm not. And um, But now I'm looking forward to being back because I've completely missed being missed the off-season. I'm missing it all at the moment, so to be back involved, I'm excited. Mm, yeah, if only there was something that could have been done about that weight difference. Yeah, plenty. I could have not eaten ice cream and strawberries. But it's so good. And of course, hello to the live stream who are joining us on YouTube. If you want to join the live stream, find Missed Apex Podcast on YouTube and click subscribe. If you click the little bell icon when you subscribe, you'll get a notification every time we go live. I feel guilty now, Jeansy. You carry it well, you know. You're still a handsome man. You can butter me up all you want, but I'm still not going to let you win when you come to Covcarp in a couple of weeks. Offer accepted. Buttering up Jeansy. Let's go on to some news. Big Dirty News. To be fair, the news is few and far between, but this is kind of the point in the season where they just ask the drivers anything, I guess. And that is what I imagine was faced with a motorsport.com journalist when he interviewed Felipe Massa. Uh, and the quote that came out was from Massa basically saying, when he started F1, overtaking was very difficult. They didn't have DRS. Everyone was complaining about the same thing. They said, oh, we need to overtake. Oh, we can't follow the cars. Oh, the top teams have more than the other people. Oh, it's too expensive. What's different? I don't really see the change, 
he has said. Uh, Maybe in that time, he continues, teams spent even more money than they do now, but the gap between the best and the worst was huge. This is F1, hopefully it will change in the future, but he doesn't see a big change, basically between the start of his career and going forward. And I think what we're talking about, Anil, is just the the state of the sport we love, because people love to do down Formula One and say it's boring. Uh, People love to say, you know, it's rubbish now compared to the olden days. How, now, how do you feel about it? I know you're a connoisseur of the past. Yeah, to be honest, I've, I don't think it's changed much at all. And I, I agree with Felipe. I, I kind of smiled when I, read his, when, when I read that article. For as long as I've started watching F1, there hasn't been loads of overtaking. Overtaking has been really difficult. At first, it was because of refueling and how the drivers would just wait until uh, someone made a pit stop. Then it was dirty air, which we've been hearing about constantly. It's always been the same. And, you know, Mass has been in Formula One since, I think, 2001. For the last 16 years, overtaken has only really happened, rarely, or if there's been gimmicks such as DRS or degrading tyres. Jeansy, I know when I when I stirred the pot against a friend of mine who's a big fan of 80s and 90s Formula One and saying modern F1 is absolutely rubbish, you stood up and said, the last 10 years have had some of the closest racing in F1 history. Yeah, and I mean, I stand by it. I mean... <clears throat> Going back to the whole thing of, oh, there's not enough overtaking, we want more overtaking. Um, I've never pulled off an overtake on someone who I consider very, very good, that I've considered an easy overtake. All the easy overtakes are against people who aren't very good. So my whole point of the whole people talking about overtaking not being there, there was maybe more overtaking occasionally in the past, but we had so many poor drivers on the grid back in the 80s, in the 90s, because the only way they could get into the sport was by putting in money. But the drivers now, even the paid drivers, the Lance Strolls of the world, the Jolian Palmers of the world, are still good racing drivers. So to pull a move on those guys is always going to be difficult, no matter what car it is. Absolutely. And that's the way I always feel about it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's the delta between the, the driver-car combination that, that makes that uh, overtake happen. Because I was watching minis racing for example me and my son sat down it's actually very limited for motorsport but we we stuck on channel four and they either had rally and i'm not going to sit and watch rally because it's they don't even go on proper roads or anything and they take turns to do it and there's there's a bloke in there helping him telling him which way to go doesn't seem like motorsport to me but uh, the other option on there was minis and in the mini racing they are nose to tail there's no um issue with wake there's no issue with you know, tyres going away. So they've got hard tyres, they can follow as closely as they want. Still not a great deal of overtaking. Sometimes, do you feel that it's just people who don't understand motorsport inherently that get bored watching a two-hour F1 race? I think one of the issues is is people turn on to watch the lights go out. They have no idea of the backstory of what's gone on throughout our weekend. That's part of the reason I bought the app when I did, uh, I think last three or four years ago, I bought the app. And ever since then, I haven't looked back. I watch every single session. I know what's going on. It builds a picture up in my head and builds up a, um, a story for the whole weekend. If you just turn up to watch the lights go out, you're going to miss on actually what's going on, who's quick and who's doing a good job. And if Lance Stroll was in third place at Baku, like, what the hell? You know, yeah. no one knows where that's come from. And it's it's that kind of thing that builds it all up. Korku Anoma in the chat room says, racing is not always about overtaking alone. It's about the skill of setting up the move and completing the move. And certainly we saw that at the beginning of the season, didn't we, with Sebastian Vettel. Uh, I think this was before, Anil, before Kimi had completely given up uh, on racing him. Uh, didn't he Didn't he take like about 10 laps to line up Raikkonen and and you could see him kind of skillfully setting him up and baiting him and testing and probing for lap after lap before eventually pulling that great move off yeah I think the race you were thinking about is China and it, it was great you could see it lap after lap Sebastian was trying to just work out where Raikkonen was going to put his car where he could try and outbreak him I think the thing is is if I can use cricket as an analogy Formula One is not T20 it's not supposed to be all action hundreds of overtakes when you get a race like that, which has loads of overtakes, then it's then it's worth something more. Uh, it's more similar to test match cricket. It's supposed to be a slow burner. The cars are qualifying in pace order. You know, the fastest car is at the front. So is cars at the back. It's not meant to be full of action. There's a real art to it. It's the engineering. It's the strategy. It's everything that goes into pulling together a perfect weekend. Um, I do think you mentioned earlier that the complaints now have probably been worse than ever. This season, they certainly seem to have quietened down a bit. I, I do think... The first few years of these hybrids were, I've never seen complaints 
on, on that scale. I think some of that is because of social media and the fact that anyone can now complain. And then you get, you know, Crofty going, ask Crofty, wow, all these people are complaining. Because actually, it's actually just a vocal minority, right? But I do think one of the reasons why we've seen so many complaints is I think we've, we've all got used to dirty air. And I think we all agree it has to be fixed. I think now people just like to complain about one of the, all these other factors as well. The fact that we're racing in Baku and Russia, the fact that the circuits maybe aren't very exciting or aren't as punishing, the engine sound, you know, that, that's what really started to annoy people. It was like, these cars don't excite me anymore. They were better 10, 15 years ago. Was the racing better 10, 15 years ago? Maybe the cars sounded better. Um, the cars in the mid-2000s sounded incredible, but I don't think the racing was better at all. Now, there's a comment here in the chat room. Apologies, I've forgotten who made it that said the, the, that's it, that because of the aero, as you mentioned, people are having to take, you know, one or two laps off from overtaking to let their tyres settle and to let their, oh, there we go. It's Lorenz Rollograph has said it's too bad that in modern F1, you have to forfeit overtaking attempts uh, in a lap or two. So if you can't get it done quickly, there's too much of a sacrifice on the tyres. But I mean, Murray Walker had the famous catchphrase, which was, and in Formula One, catching is one thing, but passing is quite another. And that was a feature of Formula One that you'd get, they'd get right up there and then they wouldn't be able to do anything about it. Now, I know this is sacrilege, but actually Murray Walker didn't do as good a job of explaining why that is as the modern F1 commentators do. And we didn't have the internet to educate us. You're nodding along there, Alex. It's quite funny. I love Murray Walker and Murray Walker's brilliant and he was a great thing to have, but he was never right. <laughs> the no. guy never did anything right. He was actually more incorrect, factually incorrect than Crofty or Murray or anyone uh, Murray or um, Brundle than anybody else. He's a legend and we all absolutely love him would have him back in a heartbeat. But he wasn't. He was always the color commentator. He was always on his own as well. Yeah. And I think that's the beauty of modern commentary is you've got the color commentary and the likes of David Croft. And I know a lot of you don't like David Croft, but I think he's very good as a color commentator. Um, and then Martin Brundle's there as your old hand who knows what he's doing. Um, but no, it's, it's, it's formula one is no better, no worse um, than it could be. I don't know if that makes any sense, but um, what I'm saying is, is there's one problem with F1, which is the wake. The weight goes, everything else is sorted out. And that's the big problem. Um, we solve that and we get out there. And Neil? Yeah, no, you, you've hit the nail on the head. I, I guess if you look at the moment, we've got more error than we've ever had. You know, Cops Corner at Silverstone is completely flat at, what, well over 200 miles an hour? If you To reduce the weight, what do you do? You reduce the downforce. If you look at the cars of 2009 when that rule change came in, they had a lot less downforce. They were much slower. And I guess a lot of this comes down to how important is speed in Formula 1? Because... If I use go-karts as, as, as an example, that is pure racing and every Formula One driver will tell you they have so much fun go-karting because it's on the limit, but obviously they're really slow. So if you want Formula One cars to go nose to tail, what do you do? You have to reduce the aero and then are they as exciting to watch? Watch some old videos of some Super One stuff going on, karting Super One stuff going on. They are in long lines of carts for a really long period of time with not a lot of overtaking going on, purely because overtaking the best is difficult. I've had it in my little rental series that I do, where there's a whole load of us all close together, but they can't make the move. You could have a lunge if you wanted to and fly off and fly off at the corner. But I think the thing that the public don't get is overtaking is difficult. If overtaking was easy, it wouldn't be any spectacle at all. If we just saw overtakes every single lap and there was no no difficulty to it that wouldn't be interesting either so joshua clare fly like a mouse in the patron group uh hello by the way fly like a mouse uh you will be joining us for a quiz very soon today we're being joined by nick alexander who wrote a fantastic little blog for us at mistapexpodcast.com uh, make sure you try and find that he compared himself running to the maintenance of a grand prix car it was a very very good read uh he'll be joining us in a few minutes for the quiz uh, now, Joshua Clare was saying history only remembers the extraordinary events. I know it's hard to believe now, but I suspect there have been more of this in the last F1 decade than in any other single decade previously. So when we look back in 20 years time and we do the highlight reel of the, the teens, whatever we're going to call this decade, it's probably going to be a very exciting 
uh, highlights reel indeed. But like you're saying with Test Cricket, when you watch the highlights back, it's a completely different event than sitting back casually at the ground with a beer, with your sunscreen on, kind of being surprised when something happens, surprised and delighted and going straight to the replay monitor. Also, back in the day, didn't they used to watch the lights go out, watch the first couple of laps, then disappear off to go watch some yeah. other sport and then come back 20 minutes later and go, oh, there's some positions that have changed and that's about it. So you don't see everything. You didn't see everything in those days and you see everything to finite details now. Christopher Fonseca in the chat room, referring to your earlier point, Alex, when you said about it's the deltas and the terrible drivers that we have that made the overtaking a little bit more exciting. Are we saying, because you said that even the rubbish drivers are brilliant, are we saying that Stroll would have been a world champion if we sent him to the 70s? I've got an interesting answer to this. I wonder what yours is. It's a bit like with football. It's when people say, oh, Pelé was the greatest player of all time. I tell you what, you send any player from the Premiership now to go play back then and they'll be the best player there is because of fitness, because of training, because of all these different things that go on. I can't tell you if Lance Stroll would have been better than Jackie Stewart back in the day, because we're never going to find that kind of stuff out. But I can. Could Jackie, could Jackie Stewart back in the day drive the F1 cars now in the conditions that he was back in then? So let's Probably just say, not. let's say that the cars are equal. So let's, let's grant the old F1 drivers the ability to drive the modern F1 car somehow uh, and the same as well for the the young lads now who are used to piloting a rocket ship that's the point though they're not the same and back in the day they didn't have the g-forces to contend with they didn't have to be as fit they didn't have to push that envelope of um of, of being fit enough to complete a race that's why Schumacher did so well because he pushed um the whole thing of fitness to a completely other level. Absolutely. Um, No, no, he definitely did. And I would say to that answer that I think Lance Stroll would stand a chance in the title fight in the 70s. And I'd say that none of the champions of the 70s and 80s would be competing for the title right now on on a level playing field. And I would say that Vettel, Hamilton and Alonso, through every other period of racing, would be the top three drivers, you know, full stop. There's simply also just a selection pressure. It, it was gentleman drivers, you know, back in the olden days, and there was a lot less competition. To, to If you had the capability, the contacts, and the opportunity to be a racing driver, it was a lot less competitive than it is now when you've got a lot more guys going out in go-karts. And I always say, if you gave primary school children as many go-karts and tracks as you do footballs, then Lewis Hamilton wouldn't be world champion because you'd have a grid of 20 people all as good as Lewis Hamilton, if not better. I've been saying this for years about about just about the small group of carters that I know. There's so many guys out there with so much talent. I mean, Ruben Butin's the guy who's won the BRKC for the last four years and has just won the world championship. The guy's phenomenal. And I guarantee if you gave him enough money and enough time in, in a single-seater car, he could be up there. He hates me saying this sometimes, but I know Brad could be that good Phil as Park, well. Mr. Fitball, I know. Yeah. Yeah, Brad Philpott. I know plenty of drivers out there um, who've all had careers in motorsport but have only fallen down through one thing, and it's down to money. Um, and, yeah, if it was as easy to pick as easy as picking up a football and going to a park, it would be very different. Yeah, and, and it's the same as basically any group of people. So what we're saying is if we make it available to people who aren't as financially well off and we say, A, there's a way for you to be funded into it. We'll pick you out of merit. And B, you've got the opportunity to do it. And we you, we tell them this is the kind of thing that is for you. It's not just for rich kids. Then you'll start to see these people coming through. Exactly the same argument with female drivers as well. The reason there aren't as many female drivers, it's not because women are less capable of turning a steering wheel left and right. It's because generally less women choose to do it. Therefore, there's a lower selection group. If there's less of a certain group of people competing, like people from, say, Botswana, there's less motorsport drivers from Botswana. Those people are are more than capable of driving a car fast. So there's selection pressures as well. So the larger the group from a certain subset you have doing the sport, the more likely you are to get champions from from that area. I mean, I've gone off on one, but basically, yeah, I think Lance Stroll would do very well indeed in the 70s. If I could bring it back uh, to the racing, not that I didn't appreciate that as bad as I loved it, but... You started off with the Massa quote. Um, Ross Braun's been talking a lot recently about how his job is to try and 
create a new set of regulations that will enable for closer racing. Um, he's got a very tough job because everyone points back to, oh, it was better in my day. But really what they're talking about is when they started to watch F1 and when they really kind of fell in love with the sport. I don't think a perfect set of regulations has ever been around. I don't think a perfect set of regulations exists. So I, I, th- I think truthfully, you can't please everybody. And those people who want loads and loads of overtaking need to accept that it's not going to happen. At the same time, I would like to see cars with a little less wake that can be pushed on the limit. Um, I'd like to see that a bit more frequently. I know there isn't, I know having less wake doesn't necessarily mean there's going to be more overtaking. As Alex has said, you can go watch go-karting and often you won't see loads of overtaking. What I love is that you get to see cars on the limit. And that's what they've got right with these current regulations. The last few years, talk about the sound, talk about the field spread, talk about the Mercedes being dominant. What I didn't like is drivers being told to slow down. At least they're pushing on the limit. You know, when you watch Hamilton take a dominant win, you're seeing him drive a car right on the absolute limit of well, engineering. And he's not being told to go slower. He's, he's out of breath. You know, that's great. And that's what Formula One needs to be about. OK, we'll, we'll come back to limit of engineering quickly. The chat room saying, uh, Spanner's your boy. I'm presuming he's talking about Hamilton. That's very astute of you to pick up that I'm a, I'm a Hamilton fan. Uh, is not a, a rich kid. Well, he certainly wasn't before. But yes, that's why he has an advantage. He came, f- he had to fight his way through a, a much bigger pool of people than, say, Nico Rosberg. So, yeah, so then he had the selection pressure. And that, that kind of proves my point that if you open it up to more and more diverse groups, you increase the selection pressure. Therefore, the people who do make it aren't Marcus Ericsson and they aren't Lance Stroll. They're Lewis Hamilton, Sebastian Be- Vettel or, or better. Uh, Ray Parker says, are the cars so advanced and the team's ability to use the setup telemetry also so advanced that it can bridge the gap between massive raw talent and a driver who's good and just, you know, spends more time with fitness. And I think we have certainly heard reports of drivers copying other people's racing lines because or breaking points because they're able to see that telemetry. So that that could that could be a factor. Had we had that in the 70s, I imagine is the point he's making. Perhaps the delta between between the drivers would have been able to uh come down a little bit let's talk about the limit of technology though anil because i know you have an issue with the cars breaking down all the time well we're not breaking down enough i loved um the fact that unreliability was much more of a factor and when i started watching f1 the 90s it was more of a factor i remember hakkinen leading schumacher and then bang the, the mclaren was out and then you didn't know if schumacher was going to get to the end wait you like now that. the cars oh you know i think it, it just added so much more to it because you didn't For me, for a car to be on the limit, I think there's a quote from Chapman, which is the perfect F1 car will break down when it crosses the line because it's been engineered to get to that line as fast as it possibly can. That adds something to it. There's a story behind it. What I don't like is the engine, or unless you're Honda, you know, the engines are super reliable now because they're not being pushed that hard. They're revving quite low. I like to see them just really being pushed to the absolute limit. Although, of course, the other end of that, which a manufacturer will tell you is, well, that costs more money because we're having to invest more. So if you're producing 30, 40 engines a season, the costs go up and technically the fuel spread increases. That was something I thought about earlier. I'm glad you reminded me, Anil, which was um, the other reason that back in the day it all looked a lot closer was because you'd have so many, um, you'd have so many people retiring that the fuel did get closer because sometimes three or four of the top runners would be out. So you would get the odd, freak result i mean sometimes i actually don't like how reliable the cars are these days because when you have someone who has a failure um especially if it's the driver you like you're like rubbish the likelihood of somebody else getting a failure to equal that out isn't going to happen so sometimes one failure um can completely ruin a season um sepang last year yeah, so I'm not sure I quite agree with you, uh, Anil. I mean, I remember there was a computer game in the 90s where that was a feature, random engine blowouts. So you could be like 50 laps into a race and it would just go, boo, and your car would blow up and you go, well, that's really realistic, but I don't, I don't want to play this anymore. Uh, I don't, I don't like it being decided just by the car not working. We've been robbed of Max Verstappen. Uh, giving us many, many good displays. There are many sides to this argument, many sides. Giving us many good good displays this season just because his car has conked out. I'd like to take that randomness out of it. I understand that they have to push to the engineering limits, 
but you could build reliability into the regulations so that the areas that they're pushing in aren't just causing random blow-ups? I think for me, it's just a case of, as Alex shows us his cat, I think. Cheers, Alex. <laughs> the live streamer obsessed with Alex's cat, so we'll allow this. Sorry to the audio viewers. Me, viewers, listeners. For me, I, for me, I think um, reliability just, it really added some tension into a race because even after the lights went out and a certain driver would lead, now I'm, now my thinking at the beginning of the race is it's probably going to end like this, but I'm still going to watch it because I love F1. I really liked just the tension of I hope my driver gets to the end of this race. And it really added something extra to me. At the same time, I do completely agree with you because if I went go-karting and my gearbox broke, I would put a Max Verstappen and just put my hand out of the cockpit. You know, I'd yeah. be furious. I just think it it just adds something. It shows to me that these machines are right on the limit of technology. They're not conservative. You know, they're pushing to the very, very limit. And when I see it, an engine blow up or when I remember Raikkonen's engine blow up blows in 2005 and what was one of the fastest ever F1 cars, Obviously, it's gutting, but at the same time, I knew that machine was on the absolute limit of what could be produced by the best engineers in the world. Jeansy, I think I think you were going to say something about a cart breaking down would be my prediction. Yeah, don't don't worry about it. Oh, okay, that's fine. Okay, guys, so we're over reliant on aero. I think probably always have been DRS. I'm not someone who minded it as much as as anybody to start with because it kind of seemed to solve a problem of extreme trains and you know it was it it helped the aero get out of the way for the real battle however then in subsequent changes of regulation drs was then extant so instead of being a factor that was solving a problem it was a factor to be solved and now we've got to the point where it's just not doing you know what it was supposed to do and it's a sticking plaster so we can't we've swallowed the spider to catch the fly we can't now swallow a cat to catch the spider etc don't look at me like that, Alex. It's a story, but it's a really famous story. Do you not read your kids' stories? Uh, yeah, so I would like to see aero come down. I don't think we're going to because there's such a, an industry uh, of aerodynamics around Formula One. So I'm not sure what the answer is there. And also, we're not going to get good lap time without aero. And people seem to rate Alex lap time as the king of what F1 should be achieving. I mean, you just said what I was about to say, which is F1 can't be the fastest sport without dominant aero. Does, so, it, does it have to be? Aero, it, 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 it's got to be there in some form of way but i think what has to happen is the front wing has to be has to stop being the dominating factor of the car because that's the problem if the front wing wasn't the dominating factor then we wouldn't have the issue with wake because if the air going over the front wing is so bad that's what causes the wake eliminate the importance of the front wing and bring aero from somewhere else and you solve the problem (laughs) chat room craig anderson says yeah i'm not reading that shut up craig anderson yeah, we'll have, we'll have words, you and I, and you can come and chat to me on on this podcast instead of sniping at me from the chat room. Just a, a quick point for me on downforce. Um, the cars now have more downforce than any other car in F1 history. They, When I saw Hamilton and Vettel go through Cops Corner flat out, like my jaw drops, I thought it was incredible. But then I saw Hamilton's pole position app at Silverstone. And the, the problem with downforce is it makes the cars look like they're on rails, and the best I found Formula One at Silverstone when I was there was in that wet, um, I think it was Q1, where a bit of rain came on the track. And they weren't on rails at all. And you could see the drivers wrestling the wheel. And I think it just sums up F1's kind of love-hate relationship with downforce. We need it to make the cars go faster. Yeah. But at the same time, when you take aero away or you reduce the aero, that's when you see the drivers having to really correct the car on the limit. And actually, the cars might be slower, but... If they look on rails, it looks too easy. And, you know, I want to see drivers sliding out of corners and things like that. I think that's the correcting of the uh, power to weight ratio is they're not powerful enough for how heavy the cars are. If they just whack a load more, load more um, BHP on, which they can, um, that will help them fight with it. Because at the moment, it's it does look doesn't look too easy. They do look like they're fighting it more, but I get what you're saying. So chat room's saying if we went back to 2009 front wings, that might be enough. But okay, let's say we up the power, we, we decrease the wings. Uh, are we actually under threat of being overtaken by another motorsport in terms of the ability to set a lap time around, say, Spa? Because I don't think we are. So I think there's some fat to be had here. Yeah, and you have to think, why do they introduce the current regulations? It's because it, Formula 1 apparently wasn't much quicker than, you know, GP2 or Super Formula. 
for, if they for could three months the... of one season, Anil, in two, in 2014, and everyone panicked and had a breakdown. And it wasn't the front-running cars, it was the caterums. The caterums were being threatened by GB2 for, for a couple of months. Well, uh, so I remember this one thing. You, know, you remember Vettel's first win for Ferrari? Um, I actually did some, did some research on that. And apparently, if he had raced in 2001 with the same car, he would have finished dead last. He would have been lapped by Minardi. The cars were that slow. But no, I, I do see your point completely. He'd um, have been lapped by the leader four times as well, apparently. Uh, but yeah. wasn't that as well? So, because those, those were tyres they couldn't push on. So they were having to really tyre save. F1's it, been limited. Sorry, Anil. F1's been limited in the last few years because of the tyres. Now, it's it's a double-edged sword, the whole, do we have hard tyres, do we have soft tyres? So we've had hard tyres this year, and we're getting one, two-stop strategies, and it hasn't been very exciting on a strategy front. And before, we had lots of action, but people who couldn't push, and it's finding that fine line. And the problem is, is Pirelli haven't got a decent mule car. Great job. I reckon you could trim the fat off the cars, make them lighter by... 100 kilos like they were 10 years ago and give the power units a couple hundred more horsepower and and still trim the downforce and have really quick cars you know these these cars are incredibly heavy there we go we've solved it now we're gonna wrap that up guys absolutely fan fascinating chat and definitely a topic i think let's get you two on for matt's first waffle cast that we have uh, reached the target for and uh, i think i'm gonna put that on the mist apex extra feed where we're going to have uh, Formula 2, Formula 3, and a couple of yet-to-be-announced shows added to that stream as well. Um, I'm really looking forward to hearing that. I'm not going to be involved in that. We're going to let Matt off the leash. What's wrong, Anil? Um, Our listeners won't know what's going on, but Alex is putting a giant baby across the screen. Sorry. (laughs) I wonder why he'd do that here on 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 the christening of my new studio. This is how you treat my new green screen live stream but yeah missed apex uh, podcast will be missed podcast ugh, missed apex extra you've put me off with your baby i'll never get on sky tv now so missed apex extra will be up and running on on missed apex extra will be up on itunes in the next few weeks so look out for that thank you so so much to the patrons who have gone out and said yes i want to hear matt trumpets on a waffle cast show here's some money that's incredible matt's been on holiday but let me tell you that matt is extremely extremely touched he did not expect that that response and although we've reached our target any additional patreon money that comes in any additional patreon pledges that come in before the end of august are directly going to matt Uh, and i'm really happy for for matt to take a cut uh, because no one has done more for Mist Apex podcast than Matt Trumpets. He's an overall good guy. But tell you what, we've got two other good guys here. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Let's get to know them. And Neil, what are you up to, fella, and where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at anilp228. I talk about all things motorsport, mainly Formula One. Occasionally talk about whiskey, and there's a few Simpson gifs as well. Or is it GIF? GIF. 
Oh no, I used to have a really strong opinion, but now I can't remember which one it is. Uh, and our other panellist today is the ethnically ambiguous Alex Jinzy Van Jean. Where can people find you online? I can be found on Twitter at, at Alex Van Jean. That's V-A-N-G-E-E-N. I'll be posting about some karting stuff that I've got coming up soon. Um, you can probably find me on Facebook if you look hard enough. Um, but yeah, and I've got some karting coming up, what's it, two weeks? And I think you're going to come down, aren't you, Spanners, to Rye House? Oh, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure if I can commit at this stage. But hold that thought. We are going to talk about a bit of karting right now. Uh, now, you know we did have a missed Apex karting event, but I will interrupt the podcast at this point to talk to you about Daytona Motorsport, our partners this week, who looked after us so well at the weekend. We really did have a fantastic time at that Milton Keynes venue. And when you have a podcast partner, it would be very tempting to lie about how fantastic they were or have the problem where you have to scrape around and think of nice things to say. But at that venue, Alex, I think... That is one of the best marshaled and organised places to tip up and do some go-karting. We were genuinely looked after very well there. Daytona are the master of corporate karting. They are awesome. The track is the best in the country as far as I'm concerned. Um, and their guys know exactly what they're doing. A lot of their race directors and a lot of their marshals are racers. So they see it and they call it as they want and they're top, they're top notch and I thoroughly enjoy it. Myself. So it's not just the marshalling. The fact is the stress goes out of it. Every, all the marshals understand what is happening. You turn up, you, you have your brief, you get told where to sit. And then when it's time to go out, they have a guy checking your helmet out the door, a guy at the end that checks you've got all the right stuff. So you're not getting to the cart with bits hanging off you. Uh, they've pre-allocated the carts. So there's no doubt in where you're going, what cart you're getting into. Everything's really, really clear. And the marshals, actually marshaled which i haven't seen on many go-kart tracks so like they actually picked up dangerous driving they picked up people who were cutting the curbs and the whole thing i think is summed up by just saying it was organized and when it's organized there's no stress in it so on behalf of daytona motorsport we were going to have um jim come on from motorsport daytona motorsport to come speak to us um he just wants to say that daytona has launched a brand new fleet of d-max gt carts at daytona tamworth the first UK fleet, sorry, the first fleet in the UK offering the combination of Sodi's GTX chassis and Rotex 125cc Evo two-stroke engines. Any experienced driver aged 16 or over can drive them on the 1,000-meter circuit in Tamworth. Daytona's circuit in Milton Keynes and Soundown both offer D-Max carts, again powered by Rotex Evo engines, but with real Birel chassis. All of Daytona's outdoor circuits offer arrive and drive and open races in the two-stroke carts. Uh, for fans of the Sodi RT8, which is the ones we drove um, on Saturday, Alex, uh, they can take part in Daytona's 360 Challenge this October, which is a six-hour endurance race in aid of BBC's Children in Need, with Daytona donating one pound for every time every cart completes a Wow, every time a driver completes a lap, they're going to donate a pound. That's That's amazing. Race and raise money for such a great cause at daytona.co.uk. Alex, at our event, those carts we drove, which were a handful for me, which I felt punished us if we accelerated too early out of a corner, they're not even the fastest carts they do. No, they're the slowest carts they do, and by quite some margin. The um, the D-Maxes are four, five, sometimes six seconds a lot quicker. Um I mean, Sodis have got a little bit under a bit of understeer for me, but for beginner carters, they are a fantastic bit of kit to drive. They're big, they're comfortable, the seats move backwards and forwards, so they accommodate for anybody who's any shape, any size. Um and they are good fun to drive. Um, especially around Milton Keynes. Milton Keynes is my favourite track, I've said that several times. Um Tamworth is their newest track. Um, which came in about 18 months ago i went there in january and actually it's a really fun circuit really fast demanding tricky place especially in the wet um but now I've, I've got tons of praise for daytona i've been racing with them well my racing career started with daytona so i've got tons of praise for them uh absolutely and the, the circuit i found really really challenging and we just we had a great event and you of course disappeared into the distance and, and i was really hoping that i would kind of 
get to see you a bit more, but you were just that much faster than us that you just disappeared off into the distance. Although you didn't quite manage to lap me, which was the other way I was hoping we were going to get to race together. I have to say this, and I'm not saying this because it's your podcast, because I would have loved to have come on here and said, yeah, I lapped Spanner 12 times. <laughs> I would love to have said that. But to be fair, Spanner didn't did an okay job. He got in the one minute 12 twice. Um but uh, no, he did, he, Spanish, Spanish, he did a really good job, to be fair. I was surprised I didn't lap you. I did see someone bin it into the barriers, and I thought it was you. No. Because um, they were wearing one of the um, high-vis jackets that you handed out. But um, no, I'm gutted <laughs> to find that wasn't you. However, the biggest disappointment was the guy who's done some karting before, which was who's not here today, was Ryan. Was all of a sudden, I overtook him once on track, and then the next time I came to overtake him, he was pitting because he didn't feel very well. Yeah. No, apparently he Bless was him. quite quick. And Neil, you didn't make it. You've got to join us next time. Absolutely. I'm gutted I couldn't make it because I grew up like a mile from there. But fortunately, the timing didn't work out for me. Um, I've heard word on the grapevine, those banners, that not only are you not too quick, not too bad at go-karting, but that uh, your son is apparently starting his career. Apparently, from, from what I've heard from WhatsApp, he's the next Lewis Hamilton. Uh, well, I will officially deny talks with Mercedes have commenced. But yeah, I took my boy down there and they do a training session. I'm sure a lot of car tracks do this. So look, this is me turned off. This is just me as a dad. I'm, I'm not, I'm not hocking Daytona anymore. But yeah, we did have a great time down there and they insist that they do two training mod- modules before you can book them in on the open session. So teaching them just the basics, you know, stop, start, get around the track, stop at the blue cone listen to marshals all that kind of stuff and he was bouncing off the wall for hours after that no he wasn't like saying can we go back at some point you know i was kind of yeah we we will soon he was like no when i need to know when uh he's completely hooked and everyone who came on saturday with us is completely hooked on karting Uh, i started a little karting whatsapp group and it's all anyone can talk about at the moment people are desperate to know when we're going to do it again Uh, i'd love to do one in the last quarter of this year so I think we can get a lot more people getting involved. It totally was worth the money. It was totally worth being able to sit and have a McDonald's with these boys as well afterwards. And, you know, and a Shandy as well. Um, so, Jeansy, you'd come and race with us again, and I'm sure Anil would too. Without yeah, a shadow of a doubt, I'm there. Awesome. All right, guys, we are out of time. Anil, if you want to hang around a little bit after the quiz, we might talk about Spa. But joining us on the line is... Hang on. Oh, hang on a minute. I've got quiz music. Oh, yeah, that sounds proper official. Joining us on the line is patron and uh, recent blog guest blogger for Mr. Apex Podcast, Nick Alexander. How's it going, Nick? Doing very well. How are you, Spanners? Hey, very good. You are over in America, uh, over in the West, Minnesota, something like that? Uh, not even close. I'm in North Carolina on the East Coast. It's all one big blob to me, Nick. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. I uh, did love your blog about comparing your runs uh, to, you know, maintaining a race car and kind of managing your body in the heat. Yeah, I figure there's a, a small group of people who are obsessed with racing as much as I am who might appreciate that kind of content. So MissedApex.com was the place for it. Yeah, definitely. And check out, I think I've linked to it on at, at MissedApexF1 and at Spanners Ready. Uh, obviously, you're a frequent uh, patron of our Slack group. How have you found, you know, being in a group chatting with a lot of UK people? Uh, I think it's great. I hardly get anything done sometimes in the morning at work since you guys are five hours ahead and well on with the discussion sometime. But then sometimes I wish that you guys were still up when it was 10 o'clock at night. (laughs) When you're still up, of course. And uh, you and about four or five other patrons uh, flew over to uh, a bar in Mayfair, which I'd like to think was just to meet me uh, but it was it was really cool meeting internet people from a community of f1 fans in a bar in mayfair uh was was and it wasn't weird at all because i kind of knew you guys all from the slack chat no it, it actually did come off very natural um and i had a great time as well and i've got a polaroid picture from our very own felix up on my fridge that he took there <laughs> Yes, I I do like the pictures when they come out, but I'm over 35 now, so I need to count to three, stick the chin out, and uh, make sure the light's on the right side. Uh, Are you ready for this quiz, Nick? The subject is Formula One pre-2000, so 1970 to 2000. Okay. I was never told that. Weren't you? Oh, no. You said you were going to smash this. I was told it made a lot of racing. This feels like being on TV and finding out you've got no trousers. This is quite worrying. The last quiz you gave me was I had to give wrong answers, and now you've got me one before I was 
born. Yeah, Catman was Brilliant. severely disciplined for that quiz. It wasn't good. Okay, let's get on with this one. <laughs> Round one is who was the driver? Play along at home, play along in the chat room, and let me know how you did. This is officially my audition to be the next person to take over Pointless, or that one where they sort of push coins off of the edge and slowly watch whether they go down or not. Okay, round one. Let's go for a Neil Palmer. Which driver from the 70s was detained at a South African airport for having an indecent magazine in his luggage? I can barely name a driver from that year. Um, Jackie Stewart? <laughs> James Hunt. Nick, Obviously. Wh- Nick, which driver replaced Alain Prost at McLaren after his feud with Senna saw him move to Ferrari in 1998. I'll just go for a random 80s driver. Chat room's got it. Of course they do. I know it's wrong, but you said random 80s driver, so random 80s driver to me means Gerhard Berger. (laughs) Yes, that is actually the answer. Well done, fantastic. And to be fair, I would have said a Lacey or Berger as well to any 80s driver question. Uh, Let's go to Alex. Who took the final ever podium for Tyrrell? Jackie Stewart. Mark Blundell. So I think so far... Only Anil has one, and Nick also has one. Anil, who was the only man on pole position in 1989 who didn't drive a McLaren? So who was the only non-McLaren driver to score a pole in 1989? The year that Senna was on pole for 13 out of 16 races. Burger. It's Ricardo Patrese. Nick, name any driver of the famously awful Andrea Moda team. If it makes you feel better, I wouldn't have got any of these either. Yeah, I can't do that. I'm not even going to try. <laughs> okay, so it was one of Perry McCarthy, Robert Moreno, Alex Caffey, and Enrico Bertaglia. Alex. Right. Oh, them. Yeah. Alex, which of the fathers of a current F1 driver has the most Grand Prix starts before scoring a point? Jos Verstappen. No, it was actually Jonathan Palmer who had 42 race starts before oh, scoring God's points. Sake. You Cat only Man's had a one in... So, Catman's in so much trouble. You only had one in three. So much trouble. <laughs> kick his ass. You can tell the pressure's getting to Jeansy now. The pressure's getting to him. He hasn't got one right. Okay, uh, I think this is the hardest round out of them. Anil, name all three drivers that set an identical pole position qualifying time in the 1997 European Grand Prix at Herareth. Frenson, Schumacher, Villeneuve. There we go. Not so hard at all. You surge into the lead with two. Uh, Okay, Nick, which driver won the 1982 championship, having only won one race that year? Which driver scored a spawny and undeserved world championship? Uh, Nico Rosberg's dad, Keke. Yes, there we go. It's two all. Everyone has two points, except Jeansy, who, it must be noted, has turned up to this quiz in his own coveralls and helmet and isn't going to win. I don't like you anymore, Spanners. Here's your question. (laughs) Who finished on the podium at the 1994 Spanish Grand Prix despite being stuck in fifth gear? They're going to steal it from you. Come on. I think even I would have got this one. Nick, help him out. Save his blushes. It was the German. Yes, it was Michael Schumacher. You are of German descent, are you not? Uh, I am a long time ago, and I uh, studied abroad in Germany. Well, Well, we'll keep an eye on you. We'll keep an eye on you, but we will allow it. Okay, uh, here we go. Uh, Here we go. Uh, Last question in the drivers. Uh, Anil, who was Damon Hill's teammate at Arrows in 1997? Was it Takagi? No, it was... The Japanese driver. No, it was Pedro Diniz, the Brazilian shopping heiress, heir of that fortune. Who holds the record, Nick, for the longest F1 career without a win? I think I do know this, but it's not coming to me. Was it Jos Verstappen? It was Andrea de Cesaris. Wow, you two have both got it in for Jos Verstappen. And for you, Alex, the last question in this round, who gained the world title posthumously in 1970? Oh, Nick has gotten all of yours, by the way. (laughs) I want to say no. Go on, Um, Nick, show us how clever you are. He's not going to get it. It's Jochen no. Rent. Jack oh, had to present go. the trophy to Nina Rent, who was gorgeous. Oh, yeah, she, she was she was a 10 out of 10. Right? By the way, um, Catman has some answers to do. I'm pretty certain um, Damon Hill's teammate in 
um, arrows. Yeah. Ah, yeah. I think they're saying that in uh, the chat no, room no, as well. Frent- no, no. Frenson was a... Oh, actually. Wasn't he a Jordan at that time? Sure, yeah. But I'm pretty certain it was at arrows as well, I think. Ah, all right. Uh, I think he was at William. He was at Williams in '96 and seven. In '97, he was Villeneuve's teammate. Ah, uh, there you go. So back in your box, Fake. you. Back in your box, you. True or false? You might stand a chance here. Anil, a Minardi qualified in the 1990 USA Grand Prix. True or false? False. No, it was true with Pierre Luigi Martini in wet conditions. Nick, has there? There has never been a Grand Prix held in Sweden. True or false? True. It's false. True, there has there, not. There was, there was a Grand Prix at Anderstorp between 1973 and 1978. Alex, the Wolf team won their very first race as a constructor. True or false? True. Said with confidence, you get your first point. Two, two, I'm pretty one. certain they were white and it was make comparisons to Braun, I think. Anil, there were three tyre manufacturers in F1 in 1982. True. No, it's false. There were four. Goodyear, Pirelli, Michelin, and Avon. What, the people who make the pots and that? Ugh. Nick, Nicky Lauda won the 1994 championship without starting from the front row in any race. 1994? 1984, no. as I'm sure I correctly said. <laughs> um, without starting on the front row. Mm-hmm. I think I remember no polls, so I'm going to go with true. It was true. You surge into the lead, Nick. Excellent. Alex, Nigel Mansell made his debut for the Lotus team. False. It's true. You're terrible, even when there's only two options. You should have accidentally scored points by now. Anil, the winner of the 1975 Austrian GP, crashed on the cooldown lap. True or false? False. It's true. Vit- oh, for God's Vittorio sake. Brambilla aquaplaned into the barriers as he crossed the line in the rain-shortened race. Nick, Jack Villeneuve's last race win was in 1997. True. It was true. You extend your lead to four over Anil's two and Alex's one. Uh, Alex, Martin Brundle was unable to left foot break. <laughs> Um, well if you knew your f1 history you would know that it was in fact true due to injuries sustained in an accident in 1984 in brundle you sure brundle yeah that's what it says here and yeah it was in um it It was was herbert i'd agree with you but herbert was injured in f1 brundle was injured in the second tier correct anil this all, this all rings a bell, but I'm just there's so much pressure on me right now. Like, <laughs> if I knew this, if I knew that this this quiz was on history, I wouldn't have been on this blooming podcast. But you history are. History is not my forte. No, that's quite right. It really isn't. Anil, I think it's your turn, but I've lost uh, track. Adrian Newey first worked in the American IndyCart series before moving to F1. False. There we go. It says Herbert was injured in British F3. Thank you, chat room. False. Yes, it is false, although he did move there between 1984 and 1987, taking two titles. Nick, the 1982 season has the most race-winning drivers, with 11 different drivers taking victory. Nico Rosberg's dad winning season in 1982 had the most race-winning drivers. I'm going to go with true if he was able to win with only one win. It's true, yes, and that is the most so far. It is worth worth saying so far, because we could have a lot of winners this year, especially if Kimi Räikkönen remembers how to drive. Uh, Now, Alex, Alan Jones is the only Australian to win the F1 driver's title. True. It's false. Jack Brabham was also on Australian F1 title. Nearly had to beat that, but I think we'll get away with it. So, so far, uh, with one round left, we have our patron, Nick Alexander, in the lead with five points. Embarrassingly, my F1 panel of experts has a combined three with Gene Z only having one of them. Uh, Although I'm happy the patron's doing well, I now feel embarrassed that this is all we could offer him in the way of competition. You could always have me on as a panellist. Oh, there we go. Look at that. You could replace Jeansy. That would oh, be good. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, this is actually Spanners' way of getting a new uh, a paddle. Uh, no, not as far as you know. How dare you correctly assume that? He's fed up with me not buying a pop shield. Final round. Name the year. You get two points if you get it exact. 
and you get one point for being a year out. Okay, I'm coming, Neil. Nick. I'm coming. <laughs> oh yeah, it's a two pointer. Anil, James Hunt won the world championship in what year? Seventy six. Two points, and Nick, you are looking exasperated at that. I would easy also question. like a softball question. <laughs> oh god, come on! Don't take away my glory, Nick. <laughs> what year was uh, Italian engineer Fabrizio? No, I'm joking. Uh, when was the last victory for an American driver? Pretty softball. You're also an American. I'll have to go with 78. 1978, Mario Andretti. Fantastic. What an amazing punt. Was that a guess? Uh, I knew he won the championship that year, so I figured it had to be close. I know nobody else has. (laughs) Something's Uh, just come up. I think I'm going to log off. Nope. Uh, Alex, player three. You're player three. Uh, Alan Prost made his debut in which year? Everyone knows this one, Alex. I mean, oh God, this is like so forgetting easy. your child's Anil, birthday. Hush. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> 80. I 1980. Don't know. He's nailed it. He's absolutely nailed it out of nowhere. Oh, okay. And the gap remains the same with two <laughs> questions each left. Uh, the scores are seven to five to three. Anil, when was 10 points for a win introduced? 87. You're not that far off. It was 91. Nick, when was the last Argentinian Grand Prix? Bit harder now, these ones. No waiting for the chat room to catch up. There's a 20 second lag. 1989. 1998. And Neil, you were going to get that? Yeah, I wanted to steal his points if there was some kind of way of me jumping in and nicking them. I guess 97, but I wasn't far off. There's no steal function. You've just wasted everyone's time. Uh, Alex, when was the six-wheeled Tyrrell unveiled? I think it's late 80s. 88? 75. Oh, really? Yeah, Anil, I think you've got to get this to stay in it. When did Ayrton Senna win his first race? Portugal 85. Wow. Nailed it. Absolutely nailed it to bring you. I think I've completely lost track. I got that one too. I've lost track of the points, to be honest. I think you're level with Nick now. and Nick, Me and Nick are level. Oh, okay. There we go. In that case, Nick, when did Jordan Grand Prix make its debut? You've only got to get within one year to win the quiz. 92? It was. 19. 91. Congratulations, Nick, on winning the patron quiz. (laughs) Thank you very, very much for pulling through and restoring some kind of legitimacy to this quiz. Because if it was just these two and Ryan, Catman would be in danger of being accused of making a quiz that was too hard. However, I think you've shown that it was a perfectly reasonably placed quiz for an f1 stalwart thank you so much for having me i've had a lot of fun i'm not old enough for this quiz was that sincere nick (laughs) it was i'm not old enough either i was born in 89 and i've been watching f1 for three years you all have no excuses yeah alex i swear you're older than both of us yeah i've just realized that (laughs) (laughs) nick alexander thank you very much for your support and thanks for taking the time to come on the quiz congratulations thank you sir Quickly then, Anil, before we get off, you're looking forward to Spa this weekend. I am desperate for an F1 race. That first corner in Spa is always something special. It's just designed, I think, as a, as a great bottleneck to, to kind of... Everyone holds their breath as we go into turn one at Spa. And then once it's over, we've got Eau Rouge, Blanchemont, and then just one of the best F1 tracks in history. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. And even though it's it's been changed a little bit over the years. Um, you know, the bus stop isn't quite what it used to be. It's still a brilliant track. And these cars have all their downforce, mechanical grip. You know, I can't wait to see them go through corners like Puan. Uh, and it hopefully will give us some rain. Um, going back to what we said earlier about how race, some people say the racing was better. There were more wet races at Spa in the 90s than there are now. And I'm pretty sure it's because global warming. It, uh, it doesn't rain that often at Spa. Well, Every race you know, it's controversial. It's controversial. Only 99.9% of sane people believe in man-made global warming. So pff, could go either way. There are many sides to this. Many sides. Uh, look, all I want is just a few drops. Just a few drops as the cars got up over Rouge and the drivers have to hold their breath. Um, I, I really can't wait. I think Mercedes will be probably the favourites there, but hopefully we'll just get a really good race. If you can't see what I just showed the camera... Um... Looks like Sunday, according to the um, app I have on my phone, looks like rain. Wow, that would be and good. dry on Saturday as well. I, th- I think we are due, you know, a good wet race. We've not we've not had one for for some time. I don't. When was the last wet race we had? 
it was well the first few laps of china this year were, were yeah, wet but literally five laps and then brazil last year if you remember that amazing race that was just wet all the way through it's got to be mercedes though hasn't it for for this kind of track I think they're not going to be humbled in the way they were in Monaco or in Hungary. This, if they don't do well here, it will be a massive surprise and Ferrari are back in it. Absolutely. It's very high, very, very high average speed. And even though the Ferrari seems to max downforce, the Ferrari's great, but it's just, it seems to be quite draggy. Um, and if you look at circuits where they've had the compromise, um, Aero lows, like you know, Baku and Austria, where you don't run max downforce because there's a lot of power involved. Mercedes have just stretched their leg on Ferrari, so I, I think they'll be good. Lewis has won here times, so yeah, my money's on Lewis for a win. I'm hoping for an incredibly boring pole lights the flag victory for my boy because he freaking needs it. <laughs> definitely, yeah, he definitely needs it, and uh, to see him dominate in the way he did in Silverstone, for example, and Canada uh, and Austria to get him back on track. Uh, would kind of yeah he did dominate in austria didn't he it was fourth in austria oh not that one then there was a series <laughs> of three races where he dominated canada he was epic silverstone he was epic what was between those two spain it was didn't back dominate wasn't it? i've lost all oh, yeah, track of reality here. it's getting very I do, late I do, here i just want to say raikkonen he, i reckon he'll outperform seb at this track he, he seems to really have the match for seb around the quicker more flowing circuits and he his record at spa is absolutely brilliant so i think not only will Lewis be strong, but I think uh, we might see Seb lose some points to his Finnish teammate, who every now and then seems to be kind of quick. Fair enough. Yep. Really, really looking forward to it. Also, what we're looking forward to in September is the results of the the uh, the podcast awards. Now, podcasting is still small, still in its infancy, but the podcast awards at podcastawards.com is the biggest podcast awards there is. And because of you, because of you listeners who actually answered a call to action, because you sit here and you say, vote for us, retweet a thing, support us on Patreon, you don't always get to see that reaction. But this time, we have seen it in a huge, huge way. We are in the final 10 for best sports podcast in the world. Hang on, that deserves a thing, doesn't it? Well, the best podcast that went for it and asked its listeners to vote for it. But there are some big, big podcasts in there. American football podcasts, fishing podcasts, which always do well in this kind of thing because they're very well supported. But we're up there. We are up there with the top podcasts in the world. And it's not maybe the top podcast quality or the best presenters. It's the podcasts who are able to engage their community who have built a community whose fans are motivated whose listeners are motivated to actually get an action go to a website and say yes i think this podcast that i like deserves an award we are incredibly humbled by that so thank you very very much uh yeah there we go there's not much more i can say about it i was i was a bit shocked to see us in that top 10 and sometime in september we will find out if we are the best sports podcast in the world who went for it and asked the listeners to do it. Uh, so as well, uh, apologies for Ryan's absence. He's actually had to go to hospital. Uh, he sent us a picture of him in his wristband. Uh, he was uh, having a few problems and he had, did have to pull out of the carting because he was sick. Uh, I will have to also say apologies to our patron, Manny, who I took out in the carting event. I uh, On the first turn of a chicane, I dived down the inside and I lacked the talent to do anything other than go straight to the apex and take him out uh, as he quite fairly tried to take the, you know, the inside line because he was alongside me, but I put him in the wall. And then it turns out that a couple of my colleagues that came along were caught up in an incident further back caused by that crash and were held up for a good half a lap's worth of time. So apologies basically to everybody. Uh, and also I proved that you don't need track limits because I found that I could keep my place against another patron simply by ignoring them. I like your honesty and I like how you're not saying, oh, he brake checked me. <laughs> no, I was just like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to break down the inside. Uh, uh oh, <laughs> I only have one option here. Sorry, Manny. Bye. After talking the whole time about how he was too timid to make overtakes and today he was going to be ruthless. Yeah. And he probably does that by taking somebody out. Brilliant. Well done, Span. And, oh, comment of the week. Comment of the week. Goes to Evangelos, who says, I can imagine Spanners with a Godfather voice. 
You come to my shed, enjoy my hospitality, and you disrespect me, Van Jean. Comment of the week. That's all from us this week. I hope you have a fantastic spa weekend for the Belgian Grand Prix. Until we see you for the race review, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex. Oh, you've got to come and check out the live stream now, guys. Now that I've got my green screen studio. And look, when I'm looking at the show notes, I'm all professional, looking straight into the viewer's eyes. And then when the panel's making an interesting point, I have to look over to the Skype call over here, and it turns my image on the studio to look like I'm interested in what you're saying, which I'm genuinely not. I'm well impressed with these banners. After all this time of you doing podcasts, you finally got quote, um, comment of the week before the end of the show. Well <laughs> and without Matt here to remind me as well. But now I can just <laughs> I can hide behind the screen screen now as well. Look, it's like magic. Obviously, you can I'm, only I'm s- waiting for it to appear on. The yeah, thing. you can only see me on the Skype camera, so that was a bit lame. Oh well, it'll look good to people watching it back. <laughs> <laughs> bye, podcast listeners. Bye. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch Sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.